brought to mind, why not look them up on Wikipedia? Assuming your acquaintance meets rigorous notability standards and survives a grueling editorial discussion about whether the time she wrote a BuzzFeed quiz about which Jolly Rancher flavor you are meets the criteria for fame. And now here are the podcast hosts who will never know the stress of whether their Wikipedia page is accurate. Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford. Hello, everyone. It is I, Lindsay. And I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Where we talk about weird communities on the internet because we're weird and we're on the internet. Today is about getting humans represented on the internet. So it's a little bit of a zig. It's about getting communities to notice communities that are often unnoticed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we've covered something similar before. Um, you know, there, there are many groups that are looking at getting underrepresented groups represented on Wikipedia, and they're all doing amazing work. There's also Wikipedia edit-a-thons, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, something I'd, I'm still kind of curious to get involved with, but apparently there's like local, it's essentially like instead of a hackathon, everyone goes and kind of like... Uh, inputs people that should be there. But today we're looking at someone in particular who has been spending all of her free time inputting women and people of color into Wikipedia. I think she's done thousands of articles. We'll find out. I love the dedication. I love people that have the brain space, you know? Yeah, just the time and and commitment. Because here I am just wasting my time playing phone games that I don't even know the names of. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Well, uh, you wasted a lot of time this Christmas. You want to tell us about your... yeah. I didn't waste my time. Southwest Airlines wasted my time. It was crazy. Matt... I left my house on the afternoon of December 23rd, full of Christmas spirit. Mm. I was like, look at me. I'm wearing a holiday sweatshirt. I am going to put on my reindeer ears with jingle bells. And man, did my Christmas spirit get tested immediately. <laughs> I My flight was delayed and it was fine. We got out of there. Then we landed in Dallas where I was just meant to touch down. I wasn't even meant to leave the plane in Dallas. And then we get there. There's a delay while we're still on the tarmac trying to get to the gate. There are nine planes ahead of us (laughs) that need to get to gates before we do. I mean, the flight attendants are being so kind and upbeat. And finally, it's our time to go to a gate. And then the flight attendant says, well, the cat is out of the bag. No, literally. If you see a cat, please ring your flight attendant call button. Because (laughs) it was a baby cat, like a kitten, but not a tiny, tiny kitten. But small, small, small cat had gotten out of its carry bag. And now we're on this plane being like, oh, I think I see the cat over here. Oh, here she is. Oh, should I pick her up? I don't think she likes me. (laughs) What about people with cat allergies? Truly, it's me. They stopped serving peanuts on the plane because of allergies, but you can still bring your cat. Say the word cat and I sneeze. So I wasn't trying to catch the cat, but Mm -hmm. they finally caught her 
It was hilarious. Um, it was it was totally crazy. And I was like, wow, this Christmas week is getting off to a wild start. And then and then and then they said, OK, everyone needs to get off. And we were like, well, some of us are like continuing on. And they're like, no, no, no. Everyone's getting off here. And we we're like, oh, God, this can't be good. So we get off. And now I'm in the Dallas airport where I was never meant to be. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. I remain in the Dallas airport for 30 more hours. <laughs> My flight, then my connecting flight gets canceled. Then uh, I get rebooked. Long story over, Matt, I ended up (laughs) driving to Birmingham, Alabama with six people from Dallas who I had never (gasps) met before. Whoa. (laughs) And it was two couples and me and another woman. So there's six of us total. Did they rent a car or did someone have a car I rented a minivan. Wow. Matt, because one of the couples was pregnant. Oh. <laughs> we drove a pregnant woman. We started calling the baby Nicholas because <laughs> obviously the the minivan's name was Noel. She was tricked out. She was okay. a little speedy Chrysler minivan. <laughs> and we drove through the night after our third flight got canceled. We we were like, hey, we, we just got to get home. Honestly, that's great. Yeah. Take it into your own hands. It was yeah. wild. We <laughs> we kept videoing ourselves. Oh, my gosh. I was Bef- following this story <laughs> on Lindsay's Instagram. God and damn it. I was shook. Guys, I'm sorry. Christmas is a ridiculous thing. It makes no sense. I love being Jewish on Christmas. Everyone's trying to travel the most, the highest travel day of the year. Everyone's, things are getting canceled. There's a fucking blizzard. I mean, it's awful. Every, every year, pretty much. It's awful. I don't know why you guys do it. Hashtag opt out of Christmas. Cancel, hashtag cancel Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading about why Southwest, (laughs) Southwest was affected more so by the weather than other other airlines. Did you hear they're continuing to cancel thousands of flights because now my flight back was already canceled. Right. <laughs> my right. flight exactly. back was already canceled. And it but the like, reason is because tomorrow. they're the only air, one of the only or the only major airline that does sort of like, I don't point know what they, what they were called. It's, it's point a, to point. I know instead all of hub about and spoke. it, girl. You, so you, you learned about this. Yeah. I yeah. found that fascinating. Yeah. Usually it's faster. It, it gives okay. them very good turnover yeah. time. They don't have to worry about everything going back to a place. They can just plan things based on where everything is and where it ends up. But because it's such a sort of chess game, if one of the pieces is missing, you can't play the game. Because it's the same shit Mm -hmm. that happened with the supply chain. It's the Mm -hmm. just in time. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, if this pilot gets here at this moment, then that pilot can get on the next flight and the crew can get here. And if everything works, but if there's one piece that drops out, it's the same shit with the supply chain of like one ship gets stuck in the canal. Metaphor for all of life, Matthew. It's all interconnected. It's a game of chess. One piece drops out, the king falls. Yeah, but we can <laughs> do it better. We can do it differently if we structure no, the chains. No, hashtag opt out. Opt out. We <laughs> don't need Christmas. to do this. And capitalism, we just don't, we don't yeah, need this. It's capitalism. Listen, fault. I did it Christmas once last year. I kind of got the hype, but I was also like, this is fucking consumerism at its peak. It was wild. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. wild. I'm not here to I'm here to defend. bash Christmas. I'm here to bring down Christmas. <laughs> wow. That's aggressive. That's the Jew in the room. I, I'm not here to bash Christmas. Oh I'm just I here am. to say not only is was it that everyone was traveling and it was Christmas, but it is 
also the news the whole time was like, it's the coldest winter in three decades. And I was just like, <laughs> can this get any more ridiculous? Like you could not write this. Yeah. Can you get your new friends to listen? Because, uh, oh, yeah. you know, we could use the Shout subscribers. Shout out to the Christmas crew, Bridget, Devin, <laughs> Drew, who's the only other driver. Me and Drew drove the whole way from Dallas to Birmingham. Amber and uh, Kenneth, who was on the local news <laughs> talking about his, his uh experience with all of us Christmas crew folks. Wow. Well, shout yeah. out. Hi. Yeah. Well, listen, our guest is is en route. Uh, we got to get to our, our court mandated trivia. Okay, we have yeah, to do let's it. do it. it let's it's got to start. Uh, it's a quick one for you. Today, we're talking about underrepresented people, uh, scientists, specifically on Wikipedia. Mm. Uh, my trivia for you today is uh, about overrepresented people or things on Wikipedia. Straight um, white men. You got, got a lot of straight white men for you. Wikipedia, you m- might not be shocked to know, keeps uh, rigorous statistics about edit history and most edited pages and page views and what articles are popular in a given time. There's all sorts of tools and trackers. So I am looking at my screen at the summary of all of 2021. 2022 is obviously not done yet. We don't have the full stats, but I can sort by 2021. So keep that in mind. And I'm looking at the most viewed Wikipedia articles in the entire year. Now, number one, I think almost every year is deaths in that year. So deaths in 2021 is the most viewed Wikipedia article with 44,900,000 page views in 2021. I'm going to give you three more articles and you have to tell me which which order they're in. Or let's say you tell me which was which is the number number 2. Are you ready? Mhm. Okay. Squid Game, that's choice A. Is Squid Game the mo- the second most viewed article? Or is it B, Elon Musk, the second most viewed article, or is it C, Elizabeth II? Which of these 3 is the second most viewed page on Wikipedia in 2021? Are- remember, those are all very good. I was thinking that it was going to be Elon Musk or Queen Elizabeth. So I'm very, that's so funny. I'm um, thinking, I'm going to Queen Elizabeth. Okay. Now, uh, she died in 2022, as you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wait, and this is the most page views for what year? T- t- hello. W- welcome to the show. 2021. <laughs> mm, okay. Okay. January okay. to December 2021. I have way too much going on today. It's oh, not, also, I also, can't English focus. Wikipedia only. I should mention that. Okay. English Wikipedia only. Uh, only. English language, not English the country. Yes. You correct. know what? I'm going to go with Squid Games. Okay. When was that craze? Was that in 2021? Yeah, it was. Right, it definitely was. Squid Games. Ah, Elon Musk is always causing a lot of trouble, though. I'm just going to say Elon Musk just to be different. Okay. We'll find out what is the second most viewed article on Wikipedia of last year when we come back from this break. Definitely not underrepresented in our hearts. The following people have donated to our Patreon at the $10 or more level. And we would like to shout them out right now. Thank you very much. Wesley Cordell. Jerry Duran. Jessica Fox. Kathy Phillips. Matthew Scott. Melissa Elliott. William... Jessica Kybell, Ken M. And Kelsey Murray. You all are number one in our hearts and our minds and our Patreon. 
If you would like to be shouted out here, just like these fine humans, please consider visiting us at our Patreon at patreon.com slash 2G1P and donating any amount, but the $10 or more level will get your name said with this beautiful dulcet voice. And now a real post entitled Snow Penis from the Arts and Leisure Publication for the rest of us. Next Door, courtesy of Best of Next Door. At 5.45 a.m., I saw and heard some people in my front yard and saw that they appeared to be making a snowman. I thought, fine, and let them have their fun. Until I saw this morning that they actually were making a snow penis. Whoever you are, you are as tacky as you are inconsiderate. And stay off my property! I wonder how anatomically correct the snow penis is. Honestly, I'm looking at a photo, and it's very anatomically correct, and there are twigs coming out of the balls, and it's pretty fantastic. Oh, oh my gosh. They did yeah, little pubes on yeah, it. Yeah, it's pretty good. The, the twigs really are a really nice touch. Oh, my God. That's the picture you got from the ad agency yes. when they sent over the copy. Okay, Frosty, just Frosty, the snow penis. <laughs> also, you know this is some white shenanigans. Ain't no way black kids are building a giant-ass penis in somebody else's yard. I think that's sad, and I hope they go build those penises. Okay? They can't, because if they're doing it in a white person's yard, they're going to get shot. Sorry. And if they're uh, doing it in a black person's yard, they're going to get smacked upside the head. This is what Martin Luther King talked about. He That everyone <laughs> should be able to build snow penises in anyone's yard. Listen, I think that's the dream. When I go skiing, you cannot tell what race I am. I am covered for he- from head to toe. <laughs> head to toe. Full face mask. I'm not what even kidding. What about the hair, though? The hair? The hair is enclosed in the mask with my hood wow. and my hat. You cannot. Okay. Unless you look me dead in the eyes, I could be anybody. <laughs> But also, I think that... Make a uh, penis, everyone. Go out in a yard and make a snow penis. Just be in your full garb in a white (laughs) neighborhood and run fast, y'all. I'm just telling you. You can build a snow penis in Matt Silverman's white lawn, okay? Do you want to build a snow penis? (laughs) Do you want to come and play? (laughs) Do you want to have it come? Yeah, no, that's what You never jerk it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Writes itself. Oh, wow, that's good. <laughs> yeah, speaking of white people, uh, what was the second most uh, viewed Wikipedia <gasps> article? Did you give it away? Uh, in 2021. Well, yeah, I mean, perhaps. So we've got two white people, uh, Elizabeth II, Elon Musk, and of course, uh, Squid Game, the Korean Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ali, you went with Squid. You went with Squid Games, which was not a choice. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure. Oh my what God, to I'm do turning there. into my mother. <laughs> She's like, have you with- seen Saving Private Benjamin? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> right. Lindsay, you said Elon. Yeah, uh, yeah. We were, we're holding steady here. South Africa. Let's see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 2021. Uh, aside from deaths in 2021, which was the most viewed article. Uh, the second most viewed article with 25,300,000 page views is, I am sorry to say, Elon Musk oh. is the most ve- like. What? I knew it. I Wait, told you. That makes sense. This is and before I hate, Twitter. I told you. I hate how no, predictable he's been that talking was. about. He's been talking about buying Twitter for a while. Sure, sure. And but also, it's before he's the craziness. constantly 
spewing his lunacy and trash all over the yeah. internet. Yeah, he's been but doing they, that for years. Yeah, they love yeah. it. People gobble gobble it up. Not me. But it's wild to me that people are like, well, who's this Elon Musk guy? I better Google him or look him up and read his Wikipedia page. Before now, I think uh, Queen Elizabeth was to you know was not like notably ill or doing anything. I there's a lot of people on this list of like a hundred articles that are from like the royal family, and so I think it's the crown. It's I think it's because of the crown. I think people are generally interested in the royal family, and then the crown is like, who's this person? What about this? Who's this lineage? So people are googling those people. Squid Game was huge. Um, and then it's just a bunch of soccer players. But Joe Biden is number 10 and Donald Trump is number 12. Ooh. Elon Musk is two. <laughs> and I guess it's not an election year necessarily, but like that's fucking crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, it's wild. I also I mean, the I have not even really watched The Crown, but I do. Mm-hmm. The royal family is wild, y'all. I kind of want to hate watch the new Meghan and Harry thing on Netflix. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, but I kind of want to. But mm-hmm. yeah, just watch, watch it and not hate them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's cool no, that they got out. People are hate watching it and it's Everybody getting like, all, the, all the views. But yeah, it's like we wanted to live a quiet life. And so we're putting it on Netflix. Right. <laughs> yeah, money. that's a little strange. Yeah. No, I'm. Um, you know. But I believe our guest is here. Yay! Yep. We are very excited because you know how we like to have Smarties on the show here. Today, we are welcoming from all the way across the pond, Jess Wade, who is a materials scientist over at Imperial College London. Hi, Jess. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Jess, what is a materials scientist? It is a fantastic question. And I am a scientist who works on new materials. So materials for electronic devices, things that would emit light in your mobile phone or your television display, or the types of materials that might absorb sunlight and generate electricity in solar panels. So it's really thinking about how we can make those materials more efficient and also the ways that we manufacture them more sustainable to kind of protect the planet and and also do incredible things with future technologies. Wow. Okay. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what kinds of future technologies are you kind of looking forward to right now? So I worked a long time during my my postdoc on kind of future materials for LEDs. So for light emitting diodes for particularly for displays to make them more efficient um, to try and control the twist of light that's emitted by light emitting diodes, just so that you can bypass certain filters in your mobile phone screen. But that's kind of happened. You know, the types of materials that I was working on are these organic light emitters, these OLEDs, um, which are kind of common now to all smartphones and kind of state of the art laptops and televisions. Um, So now actually, I'm working on using the shape of the materials to try and control the spin of electrons, <laughs> the kind of quantum states of electrons and their spin states. And actually, we've shown recently, and, and, and we're trying to harness that, that we can use the shape of a molecule, the twist of a molecule, the curve of a molecule to control whether you have electrons that are pointing up or electrons that are down, whether you have this kind of spin state in the electron. And that's really useful um, for spintronic devices, so devices that make use of charge and also spin, but also for, for quantum technologies. So we're thinking, let's use really exciting molecules and the shape of those molecules 
to kind of, yeah, I, I guess make technologies more efficient, but really be able to do things like ultra precise navigation or ultra encrypted communications or bank transfers and things like that by using these quantum states of electrons and light. Or, or wow. to make TVs slightly better, which I'm, yeah. I'm all, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Matt. Future technologies. Now this is so cool. Matt, you're so basic. I know. Right. I felt that was a bit basic. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I stopped researching it. I was like, this is done. I don't need to keep making display for manufacturers more money. <laughs> I've got to move on. Yeah, we got to get into that code cracking business or code making business that's fun it is fun although we don't need to do that now anymore right because of that that open gt or gpt or whatever that language model the ai chat now gpt you can just yeah chat gpt that's it i messed around with that a lot on oh. friday oh my god why <laughs> and do you still have a job <laughs> uh, yeah i do it was fascinating because in some ways, it was astounding how quickly it generated perfectly formatted text for whatever my request was. But there were, there were many, many flaws. There were many flaws. I think it might improve extremely quickly. So that's scary. But yeah. right now, there were still a lot of flaws. And it took a lot of time for me to get it to generate what I wanted it to generate. You can kind of set it exam questions. and th So, so some, some academics I know at a university were giving it exams that they'd written for undergraduate students and, and chat GPT could get 70%, like it could completely nail the exam and you wouldn't be able to run it through plagiarism checkers because that text right. has never existed right. on the yeah. internet before. Yeah, yeah no, it's going to be wild for academia. Although you just said 70%. So it's still like a C, you know? Yeah. No, 70% at university is like, you are doing well. That's, that's <laughs> oh, when we... On the bell curve, you're going to get a higher grade. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, I think, well, I think it's, it's worse at creative stuff, right? Anything remotely right. creative that needs a little, but if it's just like fact, 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 yeah. But then that's great, right? Because then that means that we have to go back to an education system which is valuing students learning some things and then using their own creativity to answer a challenge. Ah, critical thinking. Yeah. I like that. I like that. But for math and science, that's sometimes the answer is what it is, right? You have to think a little bit more. It means that, you know, it's going to bum out a bunch of professors for a while, but actually long term, you'll have students that are more resilient and people who can, you know, do engineering challenges that quicker to operate or have more impact and um, because they're not just doing what other people have done. I like this very positive outlook and I'm yeah. here for it. <laughs> yeah. So would you, we would love to hear about your uh, personal project with Wikipedia. So how did this get started? I've been working for a really long time actually on trying to get more people from historically excluded groups to think about studying subjects like physics or kind of engineering the discipline that I'm in now. Um, because I think it's really critical that we have everyone in society knowing they're capable of doing these things, but also that we have diverse teams of scientists and engineers designing the solutions for the world's biggest challenges. Because if, if we don't, we're going to see really detrimental impacts um, for, from everything from kind of technology to human health. But also science is, is more impactful. And it's also much more kind of cost effective. It's just a much better way of doing it. If we have everyone on board with this vision that we should be doing science, we can all be doing science and engineering. So that's a very long waffly way of saying for a long time, I've thought we need to 
get more young women and more people of color and more people from other historically excluded backgrounds to think about studying these things. And I guess when I was a PhD student and then when I was a postdoc, I was doing an awful lot of kind of going out to high schools and giving talks about science or inviting in families and young people and their teachers to come to the university I worked in or going to workshops and giving these talks at science festivals. And 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 after all of those, you kind of feel great for, because for like half an hour, you think like, oh, I really changed their minds. Oh, like, you know, they're all going to study physics one day. But actually, in reality, um, people's lives are, are really complex and challenging and and especially young people today, I think they're facing so many mixed messages and so many stereotypes and they're existing in this society that fundamentally doesn't celebrate people from historically excluded groups, particularly in subjects like science or engineering. You know, they may have this one-off excursion when they go into a university for a bit, but actually I really wanted to change um, that picture of who was and wasn't a scientist and who did and didn't make these groundbreaking discoveries. And I just really wanted to, sh to, to shift that narrative. And so I'd been kind of incorporating these stories about incredible pioneers um, from historically excluded groups into the types of activities that I was doing. And then I learned about this <laughs> incredible place called, called Wikipedia. And, and kind of throughout 2017, I was learning more and more about how important Wikipedia was for so many different aspects of our lives, you know. I thought of it as just a way to kind of, you know, I don't know, cheat in a crossword or something. Um, but actually it's it's used by so many different parts of society. Like it's used by um, by kids, by their parents, by teachers, by policymakers, by journalists, by academics themselves. You know, it's relied on hugely in the global south where people don't have access to printed materials like we do in, in the US or in the UK. And so you have this extraordinarily important encyclopedic platform that really, you know, in, in the 20 years since its inception has completely democratized access to knowledge. You know, it's remained nonpartisan. It's remained up to date. It's remained pretty rigorously researched and pretty comprehensive on a whole bunch of different topics. And you kind of feel like everything's on there, right? Like it's, it's kind of complete. Every time you look something up, it's there. Um, but actually, um, Wikipedia has completely huge gaps. It has gaps just like textbooks have gaps. It has gaps just like society has these gaps in who we celebrate and who we honor. And particularly, I, I learned over the course of this kind of realization about the power of Wikipedia that women were incredibly underrepresented in biographies. People of color are extraordinarily underrepresented in biographies, although that's harder to quantify um, because you don't always disclose that. So it's harder to kind of pull that out statistically. But also science is just generally not as well documented on Wikipedia as it could be. So kind of arm in arm with this mission to try and get more young people thinking about science and society more appreciative of the contributions of people who are traditionally marginalized. I thought I, I can I can do something, right? I can start writing these um, Wikipedia biographies. I, I learned how to do it, which was extraordinarily quick because editing Wikipedia is very easy. And then I started kind of over the holiday season of 2018. And then I just got addicted <laughs> um, to this <laughs> process of learning and kind of, you know, I get to learn a new thing every night or whenever I edit, but also I kind of get um, this opportunity to 
shout about how brilliant someone is and to get them to get recognition and to get them to be included in history books and put on award lists and made fellows of prestigious societies. So I started at the beginning of 2018 really in earnest and I just haven't stopped. And now it's the end of 2022 and <laughs> I've written, I've written, um, like 1800 pages. It's just been, been, it's been wild, a journey. What was the first one you wrote in 2018? The first page, the first Wikipedia page I wrote was about a climate scientist called Kim Cobb. She's, she's American actually. She was in Georgia at the time and now she's at Brown and she is a phenomenal professor who kind of does these really extraordinary ocean voyages to try and understand the chemistry of things like corals and ice to understand how humans have impacted climate change but she's also deeply involved with with teaching like all professors but also policy work so working with the US government to give advice on what we can do to better protect the planet and she's done you know so much scientifically so much for academia and I saw her give a talk and you know when you see someone impressive whether they're on television or or in front of you, often you look them up on the internet and and you kind of get that feeling when they have a Wikipedia page, like, oh yeah, like they're a legit person, <laughs> like they're credible. Um, and, and Kim didn't have one, but now Professor Cobb, I should call her, does have a Wikipedia page. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. I know you just mentioned the first person that you added. Was that also the moment that you realized these people aren't on Wikipedia? I guess I realized it when I searched for them, but also just more, you know, probably I have that kind of revelation every night. I think that I, I kind of look through these names and, you know, look through these faculty profiles or lists of people who've been admitted as elected members of particularly prestigious bodies, or I'm reading a paper by a really, you know, kick-ass woman, or I'm watching television and someone comes on or something like that. And, and then I think like, I wonder if they're on Wikipedia. And then I'm, I'm, I'm constantly shocked at how highly qualified and how remarkable someone from a historically excluded group can be and still not be on Wikipedia. Like the, the, and I'm sure you've discussed it on the podcast before, but the kind of, the bar is so much higher if you're a woman or if you're a person of color for society to deem you notable. And, and that just kind of manifests on, on Wikipedia tenfold. Oh my gosh, this right here is so frustrating. <laughs> I love though that like you just love learning and so this is your own research project. But I, yeah. I think I find it very interesting where you're finding these people. So you mentioned you saw someone speak, you look at faculty bios, like where else are you looking to find these people? Yeah, I mean, sometimes because I talk about Wikipedia so much, sometimes some people just email me and they're like, my aunt is fantastic. <laughs> or, like, or sometimes it's like, um, really rich white guys and they email and they're like, I really need a Wikipedia page. And I'm like, I think you fundamentally don't understand what my project is. And then, and then they're like, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. And I just... I just tell um, Microsoft Office to block the sender. But I think like sometimes <laughs> they come to me like that. Sometimes it's who's speaking at a conference. Sometimes it's who's, you know, one top 3D printing person of the year. Uh, yeah, I, I've just become better at going through these things. And sometimes they're from books and libraries and conventional sources like that. I think, you know, it's probably the same as when you guys prepare for the, the podcast or when, you know, students do homework assignments or I as a scientist do a literature review you have a kind of um traditional 
bunch of places that you go to to try and find out information. You know, everyone's got really used to doing this on on the internet, you know, scouring through pages to find out the facts they need. And I just um, do that, but for awesome women. (laughs) That's so cool. I also think it's super interesting that you're not only just your goal isn't just to get these people a Wikipedia page, but to say, you know, this person deserves recognition. Who have you maybe gotten more recognition than they would have had before you started researching them? It's hard to say. And also I feel really um, uncomfortable about doing it because it feels to me like I'm trying to take credit for it. Mm. So Mm -hmm. as a disclaimer, to anyone listening who thinks I'm a very annoying person. I'm not in any way doing that. You heard it here. She's not annoying. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely find it um, completely thrilling to see people getting kind of honored. It, it makes me so much happier than getting attention myself. I love seeing it when these people um, finally society or science or engineering or you know, academia says, yeah, you are brilliant. I love it. Um, but the, the, the most incredible story and the kind of fuel for me to, to keep going with all of this um, is a mathematician called Gladys West, who was born in 1930 in Virginia. And she went to a historically black college and university, um, which are a remarkable thing um, that America has. I don't know if you guys know how remarkable they are internationally when you compare initiatives to try and do better to promote equality. But HBCUs are incredible and we should celebrate them more. But anyway, Gladys was um, was a mathematician at, at the university she was at. She ended um, up working for a school where she taught maths for a bit and then started working with the US government and the Navy on the maths that underpins all of GPS technology. So she was doing the kind of calculations and the arithmetic, the algebra, to to try and work out how we could effectively get satellites to communicate with each other and tell us our position on on planet Earth. So if if anyone is, you know, listening to this in in a car and using SatNav or if anyone's using Google Maps, that's thanks um, to to Gladys. Wow. And and when I put up her Wikipedia page, um, there was a tiny bit about her on some old government site and and I I kind of you know I uploaded m- m- my researched article about Gladys. It's grown. It's been translated. A few months after I put it online, the BBC made her one of their top one hundred women in the world. So every year the BBC published this list called BBC One Hundred Women, and it's all of these incredible pioneers and kind of change makers. And that year, twenty eighteen, a few months after her bio was on Wikipedia, Gladys was was in this list, and that means you get kind of thousands of page views an hour going to her Wikipedia page. So then the world started to wake up and she was kind of been profiled in all of these national newspapers. She was awarded the Prince Philip Medal and Prize from the UK's Royal Academy of Engineering, which is our big old school Academy of Engineering. You know, it's a huge deal and it's never been awarded to a woman before in the entire history of this prize. And the first person to, the first woman to be awarded it is an African-American mathematician who's finally being recognized for how incredible she was. The US Air Force made her one of their members of their Hall of Fame. She's had so much kind of um, recognition and celebration just because her name is on a platform that people read, just because her story is somewhere that it's accessible. I don't know. I, I find I find that g- genuinely probably, you know, if you look at 
anything I've achieved in the last four years. I, I think that's what I'm most proud of, that her story, her name is now a household name when you're talking about who worked on GPS. And, and I love that. That is so cool. Have you ever had a backfire where someone's like, I just wanted to do my work? Um, <laughs> stop giving me so many awards. I just, <laughs> I just <laughs> want to sit back and do this. You know? no. Um, no. And actually the thing that I find the most interesting, the kind of subtle way Wikipedia is used most is that kind of just doing a quick check on someone's credibility. Like you're like, oh yeah, they are actually, you know, this professor who's teaching me is actually the real deal. Or when someone's about to go on, on stage at a conference um, the person who's presenting them usually gives like a little synopsis of what they do. Like you, like you said, like just as a material scientist, they give that little overview of, of what you do and where you're at. And usually that person gets that information from Wikipedia. If the mm -hmm. person's on Wikipedia, they go there to get it. So in this kind of secret, subtle way, I've influenced all of these ways that these women <laughs> professors are introduced when they're on stage because you've written that kind of, you know, those few sentences at the top of a Wikipedia page. That's kind of the most critical underpinning part to, to so much of science and society. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I'd just like to say both my parents, my aunts and uncles, and at least five of my cousins are products of HBCUs. And while I did not go to one. I very much love and respect them. And I'm so excited that um, one of your favorite researchees uh, is a product of one. I, I'm sure you know this, um, but they're extraordinarily good at training extraordinary scientists and engineers. If you look kind of nationally at the US, at the proportion of Black people who attend HBCUs versus just regular universities, it's not actually that high. You know, there's there's as many in, in, in non-HBCUs. Yeah. But the proportion of extraordinarily high-achieving scientists and engineers who were at HBCUs just in the general workforce is so high. Like, they disproportionately train these brilliantly brilliant scientists and engineers. It's really quite remarkable. That's cool. <laughs> I, you touched upon this, but what is the process for historical figures? Because that's got to be a lot more difficult. When you're trying to go through and find information about a historical woman who may have got married at some stage and changed her name, it's really hard to then go back and find the, the beginning story. Sometimes now, you know, if it's a contemporary person, you can usually find their, their maiden name. And you can sometimes even find information of their um, wedding. You know, sometimes Americans are very good actually at publishing information about that. Um, but but <laughs> wow. historical, it's sometimes quite hard. But actually, there are incredible archives online that you can get access to. Libraries are also really, really good at capturing this information. There was a journal for about 100 years in the UK called The Woman Engineer, which has all been digitized by an institution called the Institution of Engineering and Technology. And that means you can just scroll through these kind of monthly journals that came out from this society of, of women engineers. And you find kind of very funny stories in that of people's engineering journey or when all of these women in 1904 met up for an engineering meeting in London and all went to the theatre and then off to a cafe for cream tea. Like you find this sensational level of detail. I think it's probably, um, especially that side of it, has really given me a much bigger appreciation for, for history and for doing that part of research too. Like it's it's incredible. And it's also given me, and, and why I'm grateful to podcasts like yours, this kind of 
real strong um, commitment to, to storytelling and to, to doing oral histories, to documenting these remarkable stories of, of pioneers. You know, we do that less now. We're, we're so quick to get that interview or get that scoop. You forget to ask people about their past and about their journey to get to where they are. And I think, you know, my, my life is, is made a lot easier by those people who do the hard work. I don't know if you've ever come across this American site called The History Makers. It's it's no. an incredible collection of African-American pioneers in so many different fields. But they did these oral histories, which are kind of, you can download them online and they're these extraordinary interviews that are also transcribed and you can go through and find out all of this great detail. But it's really things like that. It's speaking to librarians. It's finding these bodies that support this history and um, documentation this 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 storytelling and yeah i i just i just completely love it that's so cool have you had any backlash F- for sure when i started i mean <laughs> you've discussed this on the, the podcast before but when i started i think you know the more that you call out wikipedia editors for being quite sexist and a bit racist the more wikipedia <laughs> editors don't like what you're doing right so it's really hard um and and the other thing and the other challenge the really big one is um that you know society is just not as good at celebrating or documenting these people's stories you know part of the reason they're not on wikipedia is because they're not written about in newspapers. They're not featured on daily news. They don't come up in those lists of top 10 engineers. They're not in our textbooks. And that's because society is really set up to honor the contributions of white Western men and not set up to honor the contributions of anyone else. And so part of the challenge of writing these pages isn't just identifying them, isn't just doing that research. It's that the sources just don't exist. They're not being nominated for awards. They're not being mm. covered in these places. And so sometimes you have to do that kind of sneaky side work um, of nominating people in the first place. I have to go out and say, this is a remarkable chemist. We need to make sure they're nominated for this prize because then it would make it easier to justify their notability for, for Wikipedia. So I had it a bit at first, mainly because I was enthusiastic and and honest. And um, that kind of ruffled the feathers of some Wikipedia editors. Um, but also because this, these notability criteria of Wikipedia are really skewed towards writing biographies about white guys. But also, you know, of the pages that I've created of these kind of 1800, maybe only about 10 or 15 have ever been nominated for deletion. And, and of those, the majority have been remade. Wait, why were they nominated for deletion? Nominated for deletion because they don't pass the notability criteria of Wikipedia. Ooh, like that time I tried to make a Wikipedia page for my mom for her birthday. Yes, but okay, it was deleted, but then someone reinstated it. So how did it even pass like the bar for deletion? So that's, it's a really interesting thing, Wikipedia, because it's all volunteer contributed. Everyone, everything you read on there has been edited and, and added by a volunteer. But because it's a general interest encyclopedia, there are notability criteria and, and you have to fulfill those. So you have to write the article kind of carefully. It's not just, you know, you can't just write prose about how fantastic your mum is. You've got to fulfill certain things. <laughs> but anyway, I know yeah. I, I was told that, but I also made it very open. Like it was about the the title was your mom and i just put things about my mom but you could put things about your mom and then it could be about everybody's mom it sounds very um altruistic of you and the world <laughs> is grateful but 
Um, <laughs> when when something gets nominated on on when something gets nominated for deletion on Wikipedia, when one all that has to happen um, is that one Wikipedia editor reads it, thinks like, oh, your mum isn't important, and then they put this Rude. tag up at the top, and they and the tag says like, this page may not meet Wikipedia's criteria for notability or Wikipedia's definition of notability, and then this whole like little tribunal takes place on a separate page that you don't necessarily see unless you click a little link that says go to the deletion discussion. And there you have all Wikipedia editors voting about whether these pages should stay or should go. And as the Wikipedia person who created it, you can't go on and be like, actually, my mom is really fantastic because (laughs) you're obviously biased in that process. So it's basically all these other people discussing whether your page should should stay or should not go not stay but they write these kind of paragraphs and paragraphs about how someone isn't important enough to be on this encyclopedia so these deletion discussions which anyone can look at on wikipedia you should find some if you're listening and you're curious about the hidden worlds that they're, they're often just so polarized from the outset against women and minorities that you 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 have to be really careful in how you pr- um, write the page to try and avoid that happening. And then the vote goes against you, the page gets deleted. And then some months later, that incredible person that you wrote about who was notable enough, who f- completely fulfilled those criteria, gets an award beyond the point that anyone can deem it not notable anymore. And then someone goes and kind of resurrects it from the ashes. It's just a really frustrating but... In the end, it's the process that has worked and continues to work for Wikipedia. And we just have to, as advocates, as editors, as people in society who care about women and care about the stories of minorities, we have to keep making sure they're mentioned on as many platforms as possible. So it's as easy as possible to prove that they're notable. Are there other people who have joined in taking up this battle with you? Because I know that, you know, this idea that women and people of color exist in STEM spaces and are just being hidden or not taken seriously is, is getting bigger, you know, since literally the movie Hidden Figures and then Allie and I both went to Yale, Grace Hopper College is a, a testament to that. And that actually happened right before you took up your passion project. So I'm wondering if there are other people who are sort of seeing this need to be fulfilled and are, are joining you. For sure. Actually, cool, cool fact. I just before, well, when I was kind of starting to think about Wikipedia, I was invited to take part on this um, American State Department, US State Department, quote unquote, International Visitor Leadership Program, IVLP, that was themed around hidden figures. So it was 50 women scientists from 50 countries and we came to America for a month of kind of exploring women in science initiatives, thinking about ways that we could work together, but also copy and replicate those initiatives at home. And we went to a bunch of different states. And so now I have this wild WhatsApp group that's like me and Guatemala and Venezuela and Mongolia. And we all kind of chat and share <laughs> ideas, um, which is incredible. And it was, it was amazing and entirely inspired by the movie Hidden Figures. Yes, of course there are. There are so many fantastic people all over the world of all genders and ethnicities and sexualities and whatever, all working on initiatives to to promote and to support and to inspire more scientists from historically excluded groups. And 
And I think it's it's a really, really incredible time for this advocacy work to have real impact. You know, students, young people, people want this now. You know, you have that hunger for making the world more inclusive and more equitable. They don't want to grow up in a society that's riddled by stereotypes or structural racism. They want to read a textbook and look at the different ways that this topic has been explored around the world, who wasn't, wasn't given the opportunity to be able to do that research. They want diversity. And, and I feel like kind of internationally, we're coming up with more and more creative and effective ways to tell those and share those diverse stories. And I certainly feel really inspired by it. Across the world, there's been initiatives like 500 women scientists, 500 queer scientists, but in the response to the, the Black Lives Matter movement, there were all of these initiatives set up for kind of promoting black chemists, black neuroscientists, or black in physics, black in chemistry, black in neuro. And they were these international collectives who were saying, um, we're here. I would love to just know more of the incredible women that you've discovered through this process. So this year I taught um, a course on nanomaterials for the first time, and oh. I was really committed in that to weaving in the story of, of people from historically excluded groups who work on nano and also kind of the the different ways that it's been explored throughout the world, throughout history. And so I was really conscious of that. And actually, just as a kind of reason for doing this kind of work to any academics or teachers listening, the students responded so well. You know, you don't have to do this in a really flashy, this is a woman scientist way. You just weave their stories and their contributions in, which is which is really fun. But someone I, I found out about who's incredible um, was a woman called is a woman called Sumita Mitra. She's an engineer and a nano engineer, particularly. And she grew up in India, did her undergrad studies in India, moved to the states to do her PhD. Ended up working for 3M, the company who make glue and 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 you know everything sticky. <laughs> and um, <laughs> she worked on these nanoparticles, nanoparticles within a in, in a matrix material. And she was particularly working on dental fillers. She was the first person in history to bring nano to 3M and also the first person in history to bring nanoscience really to, to dentistry. And now these fillers that she worked on are used in billions of procedures around the world every single year. And it was her kind of ingenuity and her ability to see this opportunity to make a completely transformative material out of something that was being applied in a completely different field to really transform, you know, global health. And, and I love that story. Um, I love what she's done for dentistry, um, but also just that you can kind of connect to disparate fields and, and make something really transformative. Other people kind of historically who are amazing, there was a linguist called Elizabeth Sudmeyer. She, she studied English language um, and then she ended up working for the Central Intelligence Group, which was the forebearer or the, 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 the mother, the precursor to the CIA. And she went into the CIA. It was probably around the time that, you know, the women computers were working in hidden figures. And she did kind of calculations and kind of administration. There were a lot of women working there at the time and they were paid extraordinarily badly. She, she set up an initiative to fight for the gender pay gap. So, you know, way before <gasps> wow. we had <laughs> reporting of this thing, <laughs> she set up something called the Petticoat Panel, 
which was fighting for <laughs> for gender equal pay and and i just think like a how cool that a language major went in and set up the cia but also b like i don't know i have so much respect for women who are just doing awesome jobs then but also campaigning to make it better for other women i just love that um so so yeah for sure you know you're one of them right <laughs> yeah i know it's very cool <laughs> yeah well maybe i'm trying you definitely you definitely are <laughs> I love learning about all of this because, well, you mentioned so many things that I'm interested in. I, I One of my favorite classes in college was science fiction, science fact, cool. <laughs> which was taught by a nanotechnology expert. Cool. And we basically, it was for non-science people who needed to do their science requirement, but we would read science fiction books and talk about how the science was possible or not. And so I love that. I know. I feel like all of the people you're talking about. I took about, that class, Lindsay. Oh my God. <laughs> I just love it so much. Mar- our professor's name was Mark. He was a leader in nanotechnology and I know very little about what he did, but he did not make the fillers in my only cavity. So, But how amazing is that? I think, so that's kind of the massive difference between US and UK education. In the UK, you can choose at the age of genuinely 16 that you never want to study physics again and you never have to study it. Yeah. Whereas in America, you have um, my, my dearest, dearest friends who I grew up with were both trained as lawyers and they did a class called physics for poets. Yes. Like that's just the coolest concept ever. I took that class too. <laughs> right? Like I just, I think we, we really need to do more work to support teachers better. You know, th- I think the reason that we have so few maths and physics and engineering majors and, and particularly so few from diverse backgrounds is because we don't do enough to recruit and retain really fantastic science teachers. We don't pay them enough. We don't value them enough. But actually beyond that, um, we have to make young people um, see that all of these subjects are critical and important and exciting and connected. And part of that is saying you can't, you can't give up physics at the age of 16. It's too cool for you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I also think that, like you said, it's sort of just geared towards white men to be like, yeah, you can do this no matter what, even if you're like not good at it. Whereas women and people of color, if you're not immediately good at it, it's like, well, maybe you should just do something else. You're smart enough to do something else. You're not smart enough to do this. You know what I mean? That's completely like, if you look at the stats, that could, that is completely what it says. Young women who choose to study these subjects do it if they're like triply qualified to do it. The, the young men who choose to study them will be doing it because no one's ever told them that they're brilliant at anything else. And so they just get kind of mediocre grades, but they do these subjects that let them go into really high paying professions or really yeah. extraordinarily engineering focused degrees. And I just think that is so unfair. You know, we really need um, all young people to be aware of what these jobs involve, how transformative they could be for the entire planet, and also where the future of these subjects are going. Um, but, but unfortunately, we don't have that. And, and that's you know hugely because of stereotypes in society, but it's also just because we do not have the teachers to inspire them. Yeah, it's so true. And also the, the classmates, you know, I watch these old movies about real people and the the men in their classes are so threatened that they can't accept them and learn with them and learn from them. And it's limiting. And I just remember 
I mean, I'm I'm a nerd. Everybody on this show is a nerd. Surprise. And I had a classmate, Josh Sear, shout out to you. Haven't talked to you in 20 years, but you suck. He, <laughs> no, no, he's the opposite. He oh, okay. he was very smart and very like, you Love know, you, self-focused, Josh. like a lot of straight white men are raised to be. And one day in class, we were in a class together, and he goes, You know what, Lindsay? Like you would be a really good scientist, like maybe like a brain surgeon because you're really smart and you have people skills. And like most of us don't have those. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, maybe I should have been a neurobiologist like you. Society. It's hugely also parent stereotypes. You know, if you went to, if your parents went to high school and had a really rubbish teacher of physics and you grew up in a household where your parents are always like, that subject sucks, (laughs) then then you're not going to choose to do it. So So I think we have a whole like mind shift to do, but at the moment we could have so many more fantastic physicists and engineers, but we just don't have them, not because they're not, you know, able and they're not motivated, but because society or school is, is telling them no. Yeah. Be a Josh Sear. Yeah. Be a Josh Sear. In a world full of naysayers, be a Josh Sear. Or a Jess Wade. (laughs) Yes, Um, definitely be a Jess Wade. That's better. So, uh... Any final thoughts? How can our listeners support these initiatives? They could start editing Wikipedia. You know, it takes absolutely nothing. Editing sounds like it's a really terrifying thing. Um, But actually, all you need to do when you're looking at your favorite browser is um, go to Wikipedia. And instead of being on that tab that says read, you go to the tab that says edit. And it's extraordinarily intuitive. Anyone listening to this can pick it up. But I think actually bigger than that, um, we just need to get better honoring and shouting about how incredible women, people of color, people from other historically excluded groups are in in all walks of society. We need to invite them on podcasts. We need to have them on radio and on television. We need to profile them more in newspapers. We need to give them more awards and honors. This is a shout out to journalists too. Journalists need to do better so that the sources exist for Wikipedia editors to cite and therefore those conversations happen sooner, faster, better. Yeah, journalists need to to do it too. A hundred percent. We're stronger in this together. I think everyone has their role to play in this fight for equality. And everyone's going to have to because the next generation aren't going to put up with the stereotypes that we've had before. Amazing. Hell yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Jess seems rad and I can't wait to read about every single person that she's already written about on Wikipedia. Do you think she's kept all of those names and entries in her head and she has like an encyclopedic knowledge of them? Like, oh, that was so-and-so from this century who invented it. You know what I mean? If only there was an encyclopedia that we could reference that would have all these names in it, then what we I'm could just look them is, up. What I'm asking is, do they live in her head? Mm, no, that's. Or I think that's why they write them down. is she like the rest of us where once she makes the entry, she completely black? <laughs> That would be me, absolutely. Um, Me too, for sure. I feel like there needs to be an episodic TV show that's like drunk history, but not drunk. You know what I mean? It just focuses on these women. Yes, exactly. That's cool. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. I think it could be like drunk history. Make it fun and silly, but highlight. Make it fun, yeah. Yeah. My daughter listens to a variety of kids' podcasts, and most of them are sort of NPR-related or whatever. And I've noticed on some of the science shows that, that, that they make a point to reference studies and bring on guests from f- women scientists, like disproportionately so. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. They're, they're, they're clearly doing some work there to make sure that kids are hearing from women scientists. So girls, girls and anyone could be like, right, 
they're scientists too. You know, it was, it's great. I have yeah. some small hope for the future generations. If you also have hope, uh, you can email us, <laughs> 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on social media, all social media, at A-L-L-I underscore G-O-L-D-I. I am across all platforms at The Lindsay Life. I will highlight my stories from Instagram oh my gosh. for my travel <laughs> so you can see oh um, the the 2022 holiday Hallmark movie that is my life. I was going to say, there's a script in here somewhere. So oh, get, yeah. get to it. Insane, insane. <laughs> For the holiday season, if you've been a longtime listener, please, 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 the gift we would love is for you to visit our Patreon, patreon.com slash 2G1P. You can also hop in our Discord and join the conversation there, discord.gg slash 2G1P. You can call us. That mm. number is... 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. There won't be anyone answering, but you can leave us a voicemail and we might play it on the show. Friends, we love you. Hug your families and, uh, you know... Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford. Then hastily deleted from Wikipedia, I mean produced by Matt Silverman in New York City. This episode was edited by Avital Ayler. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.